Welcome and thank you for joining us here for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. Bread and water is what we need and what we have in Jesus Christ. He said, come to me and drink. He said, I am the bread of life. However we adorn our Christian faith, it rests in this most basic thing. Christ is all. Let's learn from him. Let's learn about him. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Before Jesus died on the cross, the disciples, regardless of the miracles and the powerful witness of Christ's life, were still inconclusive in their idea of who he was. After he died, they moved closer to a conclusion, but that conclusion was that they were wrong and he wasn't who they had hoped he would be. Yet after his resurrection, the facts confirmed he was indeed the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And from this fact, a faith rose that still fragrances our world with hope today. It is a faith rising from the facts of Christ's resurrection from the dead. This is the gospel message. Now, I want to share with you very briefly, out of this fact, the conclusive faith that is drawn by them. You'll see that every time in the book of Acts where a message is preached, there is this declaration of the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and then there is some matter of faith that's put forward based upon that. Let me share with you one. I read it to you in our opening reading, Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. There in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39, Paul says in Antioch of Pisidia, be it known... Through this man is the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all who believe are made righteous. What it tells us is this fact was not for, was not just God uh, doing some kind of trick. Not God just trying to send a little note of inspiration our way to show us that he had brought victory over the grave, but that God had actually accomplished something. This Death upon the cross realized a significant, profound purpose. It answered a significant and profound problem. Christ, when he died upon the cross, died for a purpose. And when he rose from the grave, he rose for a purpose. He died on that cross in order to take the punishment of our sins and remove its sentence against us so that we might be forgiven. And he rose in order to attribute to our lives the account of all of his surpassing righteousness. That's why Paul says in Romans 1.7 that in the good news, the righteousness of God or from God is revealed to those who receive it from faith to faith. God gives us something. God accomplishes something. Let's just look at this issue of him giving us righteousness. This is something that's very important to understand what it means that God gives us righteousness or we get righteousness from God through Christ's resurrection from the cross. You need to understand something, and it's this, that God's righteousness is totally different from ours. It is completely different from ours. There are a number of individuals that think that righteousness is a matter of degrees, right? And they think that there are some really good people and then there's some guy in jail who maybe is a really bad people and there's all of us in the middle. And that righteousness is just a matter of degrees and maybe I might not be as righteous as Mother Teresa was, but I'm not as bad as that guy that's rotten away with a life sentence because of some horrible crime that he committed and 
In this scale of righteousness or degrees of righteousness, the idea is if I just reach the tipping point, I'll get to some point where God will know that I'm good enough to be accepted by Him and get into His heaven. And so righteousness is just this matter of degree where we just kind of let, and we're, as a result, we're kind of monkey clutching one another. If I just stay ahead of somebody that I think is out, right, then I can get in, right? It's kind of the idea that, you know, hell is like a grizzly bear and all you got to do is be faster than somebody else. If I can just outrun them, you know, I'm good. Righteousness is a matter of degrees. Another person comes along and says, it's not just getting to a tipping point. It's not like you get to like it. You get a a 65% grade and you pass. Actually, you got to get 100%, but you can't get there on your own. So you boost up your righteousness numbers. And then when you exhaust your ability, that's where Jesus kicks in. And see, what he does is he comes and he'll give you the extra measure of righteousness that you need. So it's your righteousness and it's his righteousness. But the mistake here is thinking that his righteousness is like your righteousness. That it's just a matter of degrees. You give your 70%, he gives his 30. Maybe you give your 5%, he gives his 95. But we just kind of work this out together. The problem is, our righteousness, our righteousness is, is nothing like God's righteousness. Our righteousness is diseased. Our righteousness is permeated with sin. Our righteousness is filthy. It is corroded and corrupt, and in and of itself, it pronounces its judgment against us. Our righteousness is thoroughly polluted with the infection of sin. It's not as though in my life there is this little undiluted place of pure righteousness and then there's this other section where it's all unpolluted righteousness or all unrighteousness. No, it's all mixed in together. So that Isaiah 64, 6 says that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. There's no degrees here. There's no way at which I hit a tipping point. There's no point at which I contribute anything of my own The only person who has ever lived a perfect, unpolluted, righteous life before God, the righteous life that God demands in order to enter fellowship with Him and enjoy His everlasting heaven, is Jesus Christ. And we don't need Him to fill up in us what's lacking. We need Him to give us what we do not have at all. He is the tipping point into a pure righteousness required to be with God. And He doesn't meet us halfway he doesn't meet us a tenth of the way. If we, he doesn't meet us if we can just scramble up a little point higher. If we can just have a little measure of faith and then he'll come and come down all the way to that one little percentage point to meet us. No, he meets us all the way down at the bottom. Not only that, the Bible says we're not simply at the bottom, but that we're flipped over in debt so far that we'll never be able to make up for it. Our sins bring upon us, our polluted righteousness brings upon us an unending sentence of God's condemnation. So Christ comes and he bears the condemnation to bring us up to that level ground. That's not far enough. Then he rises from the grave in order to pour out upon us the fullness of his righteousness to bring us and exalt us in the very presence of God himself. And it's nothing of yourself. You have to meet him there, all the way down. You need to understand something about not only your righteousness, but God's righteousness. God's righteousness is such that it demands justice. It demands a punishment of sins. It excludes from itself fellowship with anyone or anything that is unrighteous. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says that we're to pursue holiness. It says this, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You know who the Jews thought were the most righteous people? And they probably were. Just in human terms, they thought they were the scribes and the Pharisees. Those are the guys who had got the system down and been able to carry it out. And they weren't just chasing up, you know, stuff that God hadn't given them. They knew the laws. They studied the laws of God in the Old Testament. They tried to meticulously execute the following of those laws. And they had raised themselves up to such stature that everybody looked upon those men and said, those are the righteous ones. And the Lord Jesus said of those righteous ones, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no way enter into the kingdom of heaven. That was our only plan. That was all we had going for us. That somehow they would show us the way. Paul comes along and says, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And he comes to offer us forgiveness. And he comes now to make us righteous in a way that we could never be made righteous through the law of Moses. Justification, righteousness, comes through him alone. He is the only answer. So here's the question. The question is, have you been a recipient of that righteousness? Let me explain something to you. You cannot receive it by adding it to your own. You can't receive and say, yeah, I've asked Jesus to meet me halfway, a third of the way. I've been pretty good, but I'll get the... No. This righteousness must be received by one who has denied and renounced anything they have in themselves to receive only what he has to offer. Are you still counting that you're good enough? Are you thinking that you just need a lift from the Lord Jesus and a note of inspiration? Or have you received from Jesus all his unpolluted righteousness in exchange for your polluted righteousness? Not just for your sins, but your polluted righteousness. If you've not received this righteousness, let me just share with you for a moment kind of how this takes place. You come before God, you got these moth-eaten robes that are your own good works, and you take them off. And you have all this sin underneath them that needs to be forgiven and cleansed, and you cast them down before Him and confess them. And now you stand naked, in a sense, before Him. What will you wear? And He holds out to you the righteous robes of His resurrected Son, whose resurrection proved that his righteousness was more powerful than your sin and your unrighteousness. And by faith, you take the righteousness of the life of Jesus Christ and you believe in him and you clothe yourself in that righteousness alone. You find not only forgiveness, you find you're right. You're made right for God. I'd ask you to bow your heads with me right now. This righteousness that Christ makes available to us as of himself. It's a righteousness that you could leave with today and that you will live with throughout all eternity in his presence. It's a righteousness without which, without which you will never see God. But it is a righteousness that you never need be without. Why? Because he's risen. Because the fact stands. And this risen Lord now offers himself and all of his righteousness to you. Dear Jesus, how we praise you for this our standing 
before the Father, God Almighty. How we thank you that we can dress ourselves in your righteousness alone. How we thank you for what was accomplished for us and our sins at the cross. Here is our hope, his death, his resurrection for us. And how we pray that individuals who are hoping in just the rhythms of a religious life or a good life, just a checkup every once a week in church or once a month or their annual sojourn will be enough and sufficient. How we pray that they would throw off every hope of a righteousness by degree and receive instead that prevailing righteousness that came through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, his own righteousness for them. Lead them to that, Lord. Lead them to that faith. Help them to know how to articulate that to you. Help them to just be honest before you. Help them to say what the disciples said at that table, Lord, is it I? Could I have been the betrayer? Oh, God. God, wash me, cleanse me, forgive me. Oh, Jesus, give me your righteousness. Give me that in exchange for anything I've tried to do to prove myself to you. Give me his life, I pray. May that be what you author in their hearts today in Jesus' precious and holy name. When God meets us with the truth, it does require a response, not just an intellectual nod, but a heart answer to his call. Today, if you never have, would you answer? He is at the door. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. If you'd like to talk to us, just contact us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, may God bless you.